0: Welcome to Slash Report. I'm Prue, and this week, instead of being joined by my usual partner in crime, MK, I am joined by two other folks who I am super fond of. Number one, we have returning drunk guest, Lepagus. Hello. Fuck you right in your face. (laughs) She's actually sober this time, guys. It's only because it's still relatively early in California. And we have a very special first-time guest, Jay. Hello there. Hello. Jay has known me for forever, essentially, right? Like, we met each other in middle school. Cafeteria, sixth grade. (laughs) And then she had to live with me in college. So for those of you who remember 14 Valentines, she had to see the other side of that, where I wasn't sleeping, and just writing for like multiple weeks on end. But the the reason I brought them both on is because this week we are talking about The Hobbit 2, The Desolation of Smaug. And I'm a total neophyte when it comes to Tolkien. I only started... To know the stories because of the Lord of the Rings movies, and never could get through reading The Hobbit. So I wanted some experts on the panel for this discussion. And you settled for us, basically. You guys, you know, you guys are pretty <laughs> legit. You can like read and talk and wear pants at the same time. So I think that was a pretty good start. But That's I
1: appreciate think. your confidence.
0: I, I, you know, what what can I say? I, I had a shallow pool to pull from. just <laughs> on shallow. Yes. So, first of all, um, I would say that typically when we do these movie episodes, we give a recap of the film, but that's kind of like, I i feel like that's kind of pointless. Like, I was trying to go through, like, plot-wise what actually happens in this movie, and they, obviously spoilers, guys, but they go inside a mountain, essentially. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they fuck up, and they go inside a mountain, and then they fuck wow. up more. So, so this is... is- <laughs> this is the middle part of a trilogy and i think that's a really good place to start so jay could you give us a little background on like the three movies versus the canon material like lengthwise if nothing else
1: oh sure okay so the hobbit book most of you probably know is fairly short compared to the lord of the rings epic trilogy um i was a little surprised, as I'm sure all of you are as well, that they decided to turn—I don't know—maybe a 200-page book. Let's <laughs> see, yeah, into three.
0: Is into, it really that short?
1: I mean, it depends on your edition, but yeah, it's not yeah. a long oh, book. Yeah. Um. So, so the second movie hits all the major points of the middle of the book. You know, it hits Mirkwood, it hits Bjorn, it hits um uh, the elves. Lee past on a moose, and and, uh, and then they get no, to the it was lonely mountain.
0: Sir, not hearing in this film, sadly, the, the magic. Oh, that's moose right,
1: that's right. I was good. really, I was really looking forward to this, and the moose didn't show up. Um, so was
0: I. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but uh, but yeah, so they get to the lonely mountain and there's are So like all the major points in the book are there. It's just a totally different story, and of course there's the side. Uh, adventures of Gandalf and Radagast and the rabbits, um, which I have never read the Cimmerillion I don't know if either of you two have, but apparently that's that's more Cimmerillion ter- territory.
0: Well, Dol Guldur, which I never pronounce correctly, <laughs> okay. um, actually does happen in The Hobbit, um, but they don't talk about it in ter- like Gandalf just fucks off in the book, and then later yeah. he's like, "Oh yeah, I beat me me some necromancer action. It was awesome." too bad you guys weren't there. Um, so in the movies, we get to actually see what happens, but they do reference it, at least, in the book.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, to me, it always seemed like a plot device. Like I knew there was another book out there, but to me, it was like, well, now this hobbit's got to carry, carry things on his own. Peace out, y'all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's exactly what happens. So in our... the book and in the movie, really. <laughs> Well, okay, that's something that I actually wanted to, like, bring up. Like, obviously, everyone listening to this, if you haven't seen the movie, this podcast is not going to make sense. We are not going to do an exhaustive overview of the plot. Um, just don't go, don't drink anything before you go in the theater, because that movie lasts for fucking ever. Um, <laughs> I, but hey, the, it's actually ten whole minutes shorter than the first one. Yeah, that's why I had to go to the bathroom twice during the first one. And this one, like, I only no. snuck out once. Um, I was about to say, you had to do that because you have the bladder the size of a peanut. You know what? That's, it's a delicacy thing. It's like, it it proves that I'm ladylike. Um, But no, one of the major questions that I had was, I feel like for some reason that The Hobbit was not a main character in this movie. Yeah. And I know it's called The Hobbit 2 and there are lots of dwarves, but like, am I, am I like, am I totally misremembering that or was he just like so marginalized in this film?
1: No, you're totally, totally right. But it's because they were telling a different story. The The Hobbit is the narrator of a kids' book. The, <laughs> like The Hobbit can't narrate the prequel to the epic Lord of the Rings. That's true. Um, oh, that's
0: true. Well, what I was going to say is a, a a better question to ask is probably you know because you're you're right that you know The Hobbit is kind of uh, not as present certainly in this movie that and than he was in the first, but your point that they're telling a different story is like, there's no argument there. Um, I think a, a good question to ask is if that was a good thing or a bad thing. And I think it was a very good thing. So that's my, that's my corner of saying the movie is telling a better story than the book did. Yeah. And I mean like, it's really difficult. Obviously I'm useless in terms of comparing the book to the movie, but in terms of like a pure film experience, I have no, like, I have no deep fondness for the story or the characters. So when I went into the first Hobbit movie, when I went into this one, I'm going in there purely to see, like, the big action flick of the summer. And also because I love Martin Freeman a lot. So, yes. Sorry. Despite his many, many flaws, because I don't know anything about him as a person, I can just enjoy his acting. Um... (laughs) If I knew, I I get the impression if I knew more about him as a person, this would become more difficult. But so I went in just like going to see the big action flick and I found them to be, you know, they're not great movies. They're not like, they're not genius films, but I also didn't feel like the Lord of the Rings movies were like great movies and genius films. I thought they were really fun and I thought they were great if you wanted to spend nine hours camped out in front of the television, and have your emotions played, like, expertly by the music and the scenery and Orlando Bloom's blank face of inability to act and all these other things. But uh, but I, I guess the thing that really surprises me is that when I came out, I was like, oh, that was pretty good. It was really entertaining. Like, I loved the special effects. I thought it was cool. Like, Richard Armitage is really, like, working that sad dwarf shit hard. Like, but the sort of, like, violent anger around... The, the film has been a little bit surprising. Agree, but Jay, I think you're probably better qualified to talk about this than I am. Because I actually haven't seen as much anger other than kind of from fandom reactions, and most of that anger has been centered around uh, the addition of non-canon characters, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Uh, but I haven't actually read a lot of... Apparently there's some article out that's really... Excoriating? <laughs> Yeah, it's a uh,
1: pretty. So I wanted to do some research before joining your podcast.
0: Obviously, um, obviously, good work.
1: So perso- yeah, yeah, you got it. Um, so personally, I feel like the movie is one thing and the book is another thing, and never the two shall meet. And so they're both they're both fine. Um, but uh, there was a review in the Atlantic, uh, which I feel like you all might take take on bridge. Uh, the Hobbit 2 is bad fan fiction, which I thought was them <laughs> fighting words. Um, so the reviewer was kind of saying that uh, Peter Jackson took this movie so far away from the original intent of the book and um, didn't didn't add anything to it that, uh, that he felt like it was just all a waste. Um, he was pretty upset. Now, I'm sure, like, he wants clicks and wants people to send this article around so um so he may have gotten a little more angry than he needed to be I don't know how that matches up to the discussion that y'all have been seeing in fandom
0: I have not seen any discussion in fandom because I'm just like totally divorced from that fandom
1: but Yeah. yeah I mean he hits on some of the stuff that I think everyone critiqued like uh Kate the elf um that was kind of a random addition Um, and, uh, the rabbits, you know, you either like Radagast and his rabbits or you don't. And he, he was not a fan.
0: (laughs) He's he's clearly a joyless asshole. (laughs)
1: Um, so uh, the article is definitely incendiary. One thing I did actually think was worth pointing out was that, um, in remaking this movie to be more of a, uh, epic prequel, um, he actually took out a lot of the parts of the Hobbit that are original and unique. Um, so the the movie starts in Bree, which is kind of a Lord of the Rings scene, and um, Legolas is obviously a Lord of the Rings character. Mm-hmm. Um, lo- like the the movie hits all the same points along the epic journey that mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings hits, and like that to me seems a little cheap. Like I, I, Peter Jackson does such amazing things actually, and um, his storytelling is so grand. He had unique material to work with in The Hobbit, and he chose to not to use it.
0: Can you give me examples? Because I actually, I, I don't know what it is that he left out that you consider. What do you mean, I, the stuff that I, he left out? I mean, you're, you're talking about the stuff that he added, but what is the stuff that he left out that was original?
1: Um, Not so much left out, but the way he did it. Like, uh, Do you remember the scene with Bjorn where they're, they're going to stay at, at his home right before they go into Mirkwood? Yeah, um, and the
0: introduction of 2 by 2 that kind of yeah. thing. That
1: chapter's yeah. hilarious. And Bjorn is hilarious. He's not a he's not a scary I mean he has his moments, but he's a he's kind of a jolly fellow that also happens to be a scary bear in the nighttime.
0: Yeah, um, I having seen just the movie, you could have beat me with a stick and never would have described that guy as jolly. Like he just seemed like a giant has, ball of sad feelings in that he's, film.
1: He's definitely not jolly in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the spiders in Merkwood. Um Bilbo beats the spiders in the book by taunting them, like he's. It's not an epic fight, and I felt like the epic fight scene was taken more from Lord of the Rings, uh, where Frodo is fighting, I can't remember the spider's name, like right at the end, right before he goes to confront Sauron.
0: Yeah, uh, Sheila. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Huh? You know, I hadn't. I hadn't thought about it in that particular way. I disagree. Um, in terms of the stuff that the that got changed, like Bjorn's characterization and the Adderkop, Adderkop uh, sing-along that Bilbo does in the book, I actually really don't like. Um, and uh, and especially, actually, the introduction in uh, the Bjorn chapter, um, it's, it's interesting that you find it really funny, and I think it's intended to be funny. I always just found it really tedious. <laughs> Um, just because it was this kind of, you know, it was basically rehashing Bilbo's introduction to the dwarves as well. Right. Um, right. You know, cause, cause they come in two by two and, you know, Bombers Lost and all of that kind of jazz. And, um, so yeah, I, 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 I agree up to a point, I think in terms of them changing a lot of things in terms of the inclusion of, of characters like Legolas, I feel like that it would have been so weird to have Markwood without him because he's there like in the, you know, in the, in the canon of the, of the world, you know, Legolas isn't, you know, is, is already born by that time. Um, Legolas was created by Tolkien later for Lord of the Rings, but, you know, in terms of retconning or whatever, He would have been there, and people would have been like, "Well, wait, isn't this just a prime opportunity that Peter Jackson missed?" You know what I mean? Can I be super nerdy for a second? Sure, we we welcome that, Jay. We welcome that. Together, it'll be great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is Legolas from that forest though? Because Galadriel's not in that forest.
0: No, no, uh, Galadriel's from Lothlorien, which is a different place.
1: And Legolas is not from Lothlorien.
0: No, Legolas is from Mirkwood. Legolas really is, within the canon of the story, Thranduil's son.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, and it's not made hugely clear in the movies. He's kind of, he seems more of like a lieutenant of Thranduil. Well, that's because Thranduil's family. like a shitty father. Like, the greatest thing yes. about that... Like this is just me being like a dumb bitch coming in is like not knowing anything, but like the greatest no, thing about that is no, you're you're gonna you're gonna add at the at at, at the end being like Thrandall's is such an asshole and it was super good for me. So oh, obviously no, he's the greatest. Like Thrand, I like I would have paid the cost of admission for that movie just to watch Lee Pace pants around prance around being assholes or people oh, yeah. like. I would have cheerfully watched three hours of him, like, having, like, amazing elven histrionics at everyone, and, um, yeah, that was pretty great for me, and him being mean to, like, Thorin, excellent, him being a shitty dad to Legolas, Trez, excellent, the, the crown, the greatest, that is (laughs) the greatest thing, and Lufficus is about to volunteer some information that's gonna be embarrassing to me, but I don't care, because I'm excited. Well, I was about to say also because you're going to cut this out of the audio. But, Jay, guess who has put in an order to from one of my friends uh, to make an elvish crown for herself so that she can prance around in her own little kingdom drinking wine and being mean to people? I ain't ashamed Wait. of it. That crown is the best crown. Can you can really still see? edit this out? This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to edit it out. I'm going to wear that fucking crown with pride. Like, the greatest thing about this, right, is that – I was basically talking to Gus about this movie and I was like, look, plot, whatever dragons. Okay. That crown was incredible. (laughs) And Gus is like, my friend made one. And I was like, can she make me one? And she honestly thought I was joking until I was like, no serious. How much would that cost? I could totally see you wearing it. (laughs) Me too. I could wear it to work. I'm I'm, just going to say, I'm sure she'd do commissions. So I'll give her a plug. It's a catastrophe on Tumblr.com. Just FYI. Yes. Anyway, and the extra, extra excellent thing about it, right, is that in the querying regarding th- my future eventual crown, the question was, like, "Was is this, like, for a cosplay con or something? And Gus was, like, no, my stupid bitch of a friend is literally just going to sit in her living room wearing this crown watching selfies, watching say <laughs> yes to the dress. And I was, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, such a magical creature. Sure. This is the life I choose. Okay. Okay. So, anyway, moving yes. on. Yes, moving on. Uh, so, okay. So let's let's address the idea of um, what you're talking about in terms of the 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 repeated beats uh, from Lord of the Rings because I think that is absolutely a valid uh, criticism. Um, I don't. Again, it's it's just so hard for me in terms of because the problem is, of course, that Tolkien wrote The Hobbit. And then spent, I think, 15 years writing the rest of the world. Like, he wrote The Lord of the Rings, but he's also written about 10 other books worth of information about Middle-earth. So is that, like, Lord of the Rings, the, the Hobbit book, and then The Silmarillion is just, like, 10 other books? Well, yeah, The Cimmerillion is actually a lot, I, I don't think, I'm pretty sure that, uh, that he never published The Cimmerillion. His son did, Christopher Tolkien, okay. who just kind of self-appointed himself as the archivist of his father's work. work. Okay, okay, got it. So there's The Cimmerillion, there's The Unfinished Tales, there's various other chronicles. I mean, there's just a shitload of stuff that Tolkien wrote about, because he was a big nerd. Um... And, uh, and so when you read the, the, the problem is, cause like I read the Hobbit when I was a kid, um, and then I saw the Lord of the Rings movies and then I read the Lord of the Rings books somewhat. I got through about half of it. Um, cause it, I didn't like it very much. Um, we'll talk about that later, but there's a lot of repeated beats from the Hobbit into Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, Totally.
0: And so, um, it's. I, th- I think it would be hard for Jackson to, having done the Lord of the Rings, come back to the Hobbit and not do some repeated stuff. You know what I mean? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think the... I, I was sad that the humor of the, the child's version of these events gets mm-hmm. lost. Like, yeah. I, I, I think there's something to be said for epic fantasy where... There are repeated events, like um, archetypal, you know, character-building events that you've got to hit over and over again because it's a fairy tale. Um, It's the total differences that were a little disappointing to me, Mm -hmm. but um, I have very purposely not said anything about smog and the Lonely Mountain yet, because I actually thought that part of the movie was awesome. I can't imagine that being depicted... Even though it was a departure from the book, I I can't imagine it being depicted any better or differently.
0: Oh, yeah. I was about to say, Smaug, we could talk for two or three hours about I... Like, I've always loved Smaug as a dragon, um, just from, like, the perspective of, like, he's so interesting to me as a character. Um, And then to see him on screen way even better than I kind of imagined, I was just like, yes, this is everything I want. So, yeah, absolutely, we can talk about that. I thought he... Actually, that was a pretty big departure. I thought... I have no idea what the original version was, but I thought the entire scene between Bilbo and Smaug was absolutely fantastic. Like, yeah. I thought that... That was a highlight. Yeah, I thought that Martin Freeman was amazing playing Bilbo in front of Smaug. And just, like there's something very resonant with me still about that image of him in front of this massive creature and the way that his voice was shaking as he was trying to talk his way out of this absolutely absurd and incredibly dangerous situation. Like I thought it was so compelling. And I also, and one of the interesting things that I read, um, in one of my random, like, trying to trial for a general public opinion on this movie was that people were really angry about the effects for some reason. They just thought that they looked cheap and bad, and I didn't see that at all. I thought that they looked amazing, and I thought that Smog looked amazing. I was going to say Smile looked real. Smog she... looked terrifying. <laughs> yeah, like, seriously, Like, literally, like, I'm so used to, you know, how to train your dragon toothless type of and I mean literally the character named Toothless, uh, characterizations <laughs> of dragons where they're like you know big cats, yes, you know, and still scary, but you know, funny, and you know, once you get to know them, they're really quite adorable. And yeah. it's like, no, this guy, I would, I was, I was very impressed with the dwarves for actually being like, yes, let's concoct this really stupid plan to kill the dragon by melting some gold on top of him, because uh, I would have just cried. <laughs> Well, I died. it's I symptomatic died. of the complete lack of planning that went into this entire process, right? Like, because I think that given the fact that I had no, like, conception for Smaug uh, as a result of, like, the first film or whatever, like, when the initial Hobbit movie came out and it was just the, the company of 13 dwarves and the Hobbit going in to retake the Lonely Mountain, I was sort of like, this is dumb, but... Alright, but now that I've seen Smaug, I was like, that was suicidally stupid. Like, well, okay, so but, that- the, but the thing is, is that that's actually one of the things that I really love about Peter Jackson's change from the book. Because in the book, that's literally what they think that they're going to do. Oh, then they're just going to, like, die? And they're just like, yes, we're just going to go there, and fingers crossed, the dragon's dead, or something will happen. And, you know, it's incredibly dumb. But in, the, in this movie, they explain that the 13 of them aren't actually going there to defeat Smaug. They're going there to sneak in and get the King's Jewel, the Arkenstone thing, right. so that they can then go to all of the other dwarves and be like, okay, I need a shit ton of armed people. Oh, to retake every- the mountain. And then they'll retake the mountain. Okay. And I was like, that actually makes sense. Thank you. Jay, <laughs> yeah, you were saying to something?
1: do that, didn't they? Because, like, in the book, the dwarfs are all silly creatures. Yeah. I, so, like, it makes sense that they would think, yeah, we can go fight a dragon. Well, because it's um, a book, yeah. Yeah, and they're I more heroic it's... here. Yeah. yeah. Although, I think it does bring it back to the point that I think you made earlier that it made the hobbits sort of an extra. Yeah. Because they are heroic enough and thoughtful enough that they possibly could have taken a dragon without bilbo
0: yeah but they couldn't have stolen the stone which was their original idea and then right. once he got trapped because thorn's an idiot i mean beautiful and i love him to death but oh my god <laughs> so much therapy but um and then they're like oh yeah okay so we'll just kill him this it's fine yeah this will work this will be good I also really enjoyed how like someone like so I'm gonna cite two things that I saw on tumblr that just made me laugh like a moron number one was thorn oak and shield tribute for the hunger games in the entire section where it's just like him in his like weird outfit like running through burning rivers of molten steel to like fight a dragon which like in the movie, but, I was already... the riding whore, yes, where he's in the wheelbarrow, yeah. Yeah, like, in the movie, I was already, like, pissing myself, because I was like, holy shit, how is he not on fire right now? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one was someone making the... And these are both thorn points. Someone making the point where it's basically like, this... Quest is really poorly thought out. Because the whole... Like, your first introduction to him in the film is him not being able to find Bilbo's house except for the mark made by a wizard on his door. And he's literally going to a mountain to find an invisible door. Which he doesn't find. Which he doesn't find. Which, like, I definitely was in the movie theater when they were like, the last light is gone. We're fucked. And they were all, like, stomping off in dwarf sadness. I was like, you fucking quitters. Like... What is this? You got here, just hang out for a little while. Like, there's no way that it's not here, right? I just thought that that was like yeah. a weirdly defeatist attitude for, like, 13 morons who were going to take the mountain and the dragon inside of it. I was going to nerd out here, too, but I've listened to pretty much every single uh, interview that Richard Armitage has done, and he had a problem with that, too. He's like, I really hated that. That was That was not... I did not agree with the director on this particular, you know, thing, but... You know, what can you do?
1: Jay, you were saying? I agree. That did ring a little false. And I actually really loved the reveal in the book that they were um, they were not despairing, but they were like, how is this going to unfold? And then there was a bird, and it was like this moment, and it kind of made you think back to the, the runes and the um, in Elrond fortress situation from like the first <laughs> movie slash earlier in the book. Um, I, I don't know, I thought it all kind of came together, like, oh, this is a mission that is more than just 13 dwarves, it's, it's, it's prophetic, it's cool, and I, I didn't see why that couldn't have fit into this retelling.
0: Yeah, it's destined, and I, and I think, like, just from a pure narrative, like, storyteller point of view, if... I could 100% see the thinking behind the architecture of that scene, right? Like, you need them to be at the absolute lowest and then the only person who has the hero moment because it's not, you know, physical heroics. Is Bilbo still having the power of faith and the cleverness to figure this out? Well, the thing about that was is that you can absolutely have them be at their be at their lowest and be at their most depressed. But there's no reason they would have all had to, like, wander off and be sad, right? Like, they could have all been sitting there panicked, desolate, trying to figure it out. And there's no reason that Bilbo couldn't have emerged heroic in the midst of that conversation, which I think would have made it ring less false. But, the, but and actually, and I, I agree with you, but in terms of what we're talking about even repeated beats, Uh-huh. That exact same scene that you're describing, not the one that happened in the movie, yeah. uh, happened in uh, Fellowship of the Rings, where what? Frodo has his hero moment, being like, "What's the Elvish word for friend?" And everybody else who is stumped by the door of Moria is like, "Oh," because they're despairing as well. So it's it's possibly that Peter Jackson didn't want to repeat that or make it look too similar to that, and then possibly again what you were talking about in terms of Bilbo kind of not being as important in this movie as he is in the book, they might have been like, well, we need him to look more important. We need to wrap him into the narrative more. Exactly. So I think an interesting thing to sort of try and wrap our heads around is, I think it's fair to say, given what you guys have discussed here and given what everyone on, um, Everyone in media commentatorship, whatever, has discussed that this is this is in some ways like a fanish creation based oh, yeah. on the Hobbit, right? Like there's too much other stuff that's getting pulled into this. Um, this is like the most expensive fan vid of all time. Um, but then I think on its merits, without like sitting there thinking like, well, compared to the book, compared to whatever, is this good? Yeah. Was that your answer? Just yes? Oh, is that my question? Oh, yes. It was well. I mean, I'm biased. I love these these books in this world uh, so much, um, and especially Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh and uh, Philippa Boyan's version of this world so much that I'm, you know, literally the third movie could just be Bilbo sitting in a field crying, and I'm going to be like, greatest cinema ever! You know, because that's, that's, I mean, I have like everybody, I, I I agree that everybody was just like, excuse me, three movies for this for this particular book, and I was like, motherfucker, yeah, hell yes, I'm so excited, sign me up, I'm I'm there, cause cause, I, and this is again, this is a nerdy thing, but there's complicated rights issues, right. Of thoughts oh
1: I'm for for almost the exact same reasons I'm gonna have to say it wasn't a good movie um and let me caveat that by saying I enjoyed it right I I enjoyed the experience of going to see it but for me The Hobbit um it's been one of my favorite books for my entire life I uh my dad read it to me when I was a little kid and it instilled me with this sense of like little people without any inner obvious physical strength could make their way in the world and do something noble and something good and I love that this book is actually in a lot of ways about the true meaning of friendship and when you when you make a promise to people how you keep that promise and what effects that can have on your relationships and this movie was a lot of fun and it was epic and there were adventures and the dragons is scary. And the goal like, it's a stunning scene, but I feel that the way that Jackson remade the story lost the core of what I loved about it. I love the world and it's nice to see that world, but I, I also love Bilbo and I love what he stands for. And I, I missed that in this. And I think that in the remake, they lost a lot of the core of the other characters, too. Like, Thorin is either a uh, hero or an asshole, and there's none of the in-between. Um, Gandalf is sort of a guide, but in this one, he's so concerned about the coming darkness that he's, he's not able to push people into becoming more. I, just, I thought a lot of the, the characters were missing from the plot. Hmm.
0: Yeah, well, it it sounds like um, it sounds like you internalize the story almost as like a fable or a fairy tale, and this, as we've discussed, like this version of the movie is definitely like way too epic and swashbuckly to have like a core like that. Yeah, totally. Well, and actually, the thing that I find the the I can't remember who said it. But somebody said it um, really interestingly is that the Hobbit book. Is the um, is is the story that Bilbo told Frodo when he was a kid? Uh, the 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 book, you know, A Hobbit's Holiday or whatever Bilbo ended up calling it in the book, um, was the kind of uh, assortment of adventures that he told his uh, his nephew and the other kids um, uh, about what happened to him. And then I feel like the movie is the truth. And that's my interpretation, that's not, you know, the, that's not the way it is, but that's how I kind of read it, or that's how I kind of interpreted what's going on, because you're right, these books aren't, that they're missing a lot of the whimsy, I think, and the... Um, The sense of, you know, we know that Bilbo's gonna come back safely and and, and be perfectly fine. Because, of course, in the Hobbit book, the ring isn't evil. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, Tolkien didn't write the one ring when he wrote the Hobbit. What? I'm so confused now. All right, so the ring, the ring. ring is Is it just a magic thing that Gollum really loved? and that makes people invisible that makes people invisible Yep. Yeah. there was no connection to Saur- sauron didn't exist when the hobbit was written so then when gandalf like left to like fucking like bye i'm gonna allow for some character development like what was he doing he was going to do- well that's the thing in okay when <laughs> god i'm such a fucking nerd yes uh- Luffigus, totally yes. Yeah. He, he wrote it basically as a, as a story for his kids. Right. Um, and he wrote Gandalf being just kind of this mysterious wizard who had other things that he was doing. And this was a very small adventure. Because there's this great line, and Jay, you probably remember it better than I do, um, where it, it's at the very beginning of The Hobbit where he's talking and he's, uh, the narrator's talking and he said, if you only knew a quarter of the stories that I knew about Gandalf and I only know a very little of them, then you would know that there's an adventure ahead or something like that. Remember? Cause he's like, he's constantly just, you know, this mysterious wizard guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah and in the book, there's no, there's no Dolgaldur. Radagast is mentioned once as a cousin of Gandalf's because in the book he is a cousin. Um, Tolkien later retcons that into he's a fellow wizard of the Myar, Myar, Myar spirits, whatever. So all of the information about, like the necromancer in The Hobbit is just oh, some sorcerer. He's not, he's not Sauron, he's not anybody. Um, he's Sir not appearing in the film, uh, or in the book. Um, and he, he's literally a MacGuffin device. To okay. get Gandalf away. that was kind of my um, interpretation and one of the reasons why I did enjoy the movie so much because I felt like it questioned the text of the book so much in a meta way that I really love I I mean like I have to say that if it was if it were me right and if I were more familiar with the the canonical text that something is built off of like i think maybe it's just the way that like our brains are built as people in fandom that we're constantly seeking and we're constantly looking for connections and depth to the content that maybe some people like don't like right like because i when you describe that when you say like well the original version is this it it seems like a much much more spare version of the universe and like my instinctive response is going to be like, well, let me get everything that Tolkien ever did and see where I can draw those connections. Right. And then like knowing this context, well, he probably intended X, Y, Z. And it seems like the end result would be something similar to what Jackson has put together. Like this does seem like the sort of archeology span and anthropological work that fans tend to do when we want to put together like a larger version of the original context of the story. I mean, exactly. I mean, like literally like the, the, the thing that I would agree with in terms of the Atlantic article, which I haven't read, but based on the title, I mean, these books, these, these movies, all of these movies are fanfic. I mean, they're transformative works and they're, and they're interrogating the text in a way that only a movie can do you know, and, and I find that really enjoyable. And and I think that that does add to the objective quality of the movie. But Jay, you, you have a response. I
1: mean, I actually really like that they show where Gandalf goes. I thought, you know, it's a question I've always had. And I I like that they (laughs) have a really solid answer. Um, (laughs) Like, where the fuck did you go? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a kind of a stupid point in the book. Like, my five-year-old self could recognize that. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think it's great a storyteller like Peter Jackson can go and, like, add that extra nuance. And I appreciate what you were saying about how even Tolkien himself was kind of building out his universe and creating more transformative versions of the story that he was trying to tell. Yeah, I'm just curious if there was a way that Jackson could have done this that stayed true to the people in the story and not just the events of the story.
0: Oh my God. This kind of goes into like one of my major pet peeves about what I call boy fiction. And (laughs) (laughs) sorry. The reason why like I can't get through like reading these books, even though like, Jay, you clearly identified like some emotional core or character like driven elements of these books. I like remember making so many separate attempts to read The Hobbit and just like regretting it five pages into that story. I find them so inaccessible because I don't give a fuck about any of the characters and I don't understand what any of their motivations are. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know why they're doing this. I don't know what, like, it's just like, um, it's like I had this like stray thought last night when I was reading one of my like angry tutor history books, but like foolishly it was one not written by a woman. So it was talking about, it was talking about some transactional marriage involving like a female and, I remember sitting there thinking like, you're like, okay, so they got married, then what? Like, was it okay? Like, was it terrible? Like, was it fucking 30 years of marital rape? Like, there's so much in there that is just excised because it's not interesting to the male gaze. And I think that Peter Jackson on some level suffers from that because you don't necessarily get like, the internal journey of the character is not quite as important as the geographic location of them. So like, you can plot the course of this story through like, from the Shire to Erebor, the Lonely Mountain, but it's much harder to figure out the emotional journey of those characters. And I feel like his one sort of nod to it was including the Keely and Tariel relationship. But like, I thought it was so cute. Like I was sitting there in the theater at that point. I was like sitting on the steps. Cause I, I had like gone to the bathroom when I came back. I didn't want to disturb the rest of my row. And I was like, like weeping gently into the cuffs of my sweatshirt hissing. I ship it like FedEx. But like, I totally know what you mean where you're sitting there saying like, Oh man, I totally, I wish I knew a little bit more about the internal narratives of these characters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of forgot. Uh, so Keely, right? Not Feely. I can't remember. Yeah. I mixed it's, them up. It's,
0: it's the dark-haired Everybody one. He
1: mixes them up, apparently. So <laughs> yeah. That part was totally new to me, and I thought it, it actually wasn't it, because it was characters interacting with each other yeah, with motivation and, you know, purpose. Yeah.
0: I was gonna say, it, it's kind of ironic to me that Tariel, who is the original character written uh, by uh, the screenwriters, uh, including uh, Guillermo del Toro, actually. Uh, he was the one to kind of advocate the most fiercely for uh, a Lady Elf character. Um, but anyway, um, she seemed to have the most characterization. <laughs> yes. In a lot of... Like, that whole... that whole Just just that conversation that she has with Legolas um, at the stream where she's basically being like, you know, I, I need to do this because it's the right thing to do and because you know, our isolationist policy ain't working so well. Right. Um, and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, that was, that was a, you know, and again, like now I'm thinking, well, you know what, we're probably going to get more character beats in the extended edition, but we can't really talk about that because it hasn't come out yet. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually, I think it's, I think it's interesting that you say that it's a, it's a drawback of, of Jackson's, um, storytelling because 90% of the book of this of the screenplay uh is written by Fran Walsh and Philip Boyens, two women um and so I think it's interesting that it's it's not necessarily a I don't necessarily know if it's a result of their particular point of view yeah, on the yes, story I exactly. think that it's symptomatic of this type of writing in general like well exactly what is one, of, one of the weird one of the weird things that everyone always points out to me is like how are you like, so basically whenever anybody asks me for recommendations on books or anything, like they're going to get a stream of like either shitty dollar bin romance novels or like 700 page nonfiction books Because those are the only types of books that I read at this point. Like, I don't really read fiction anymore, and I fucking hate science fiction fantasy. Like, that is a genre that I've always found completely awful for me. And people are always so weirded out by it. Because they're like, you've been in fandom for, like, 400 years. How is it, and you've always been in, like, sci-fi fantasy fandoms. Like, how is it that you don't like them? Because I was like, well, because the fandom is filling in all the stuff that doesn't exist in the original canon, right? Like, it doesn't, like, okay, so what is, what is a really good example of this Um, for a canon that I find, like, so dead? Okay, so Inception is a really good example of this, and, like, people will broadly know it. So if you look at Inception, the movie, it is really flashy, shiny, and it gives you, like, an interesting premise, but then it does nothing with it, right? Like, all of the characters are literally... Like, it's such an irony in and of itself that the that the villain in the story is a shade because every fucking character is, like, a bare minimum plastic cutout version of, like, a real person. Oh, yeah. And as a result of that, the fandom itself is really huge and, like, had a wealth of really interesting stuff because you could flesh it out a lot. Um, and I feel like probably... And, like, a lot of what I call quote-unquote boy fiction has that problem right where you have people going on these epic quests and these big journeys and like doing these big important things but like I don't fucking know who this dude is right like what is your favorite color do you like to eat like, what is your thing? Like, why should I give two shits about you and your epic quest? And that seems to be the question that is always unanswered whenever I'm reading or watching or consuming one of these, like, fantasy science fiction canons. And that is why, like, for me, I liked the movie better than I bet you I would like the book, but I like the fandom more than I like the movie even more so. Yeah, and I, I agree with that uh, 110%. Um, I think the... <laughs> Boy fiction, whether it's uh, fantasy or sci-fi or, you know, the latest blockbuster, I think seems to kind of uh, end that question with, you should care about this because he's the hero. And that's the end of the conversation. And there's no kind of discussion about, well, why is he a hero? What made him become a hero? What does he do after his heroism is concluded? You know, like, I I read, uh, what was it, Hero with a Thousand Faces? Is that the name of the book? Oh my God, Why? Sorry. No, like, I'm literally sitting here being like, do I even have an answer for that? I don't think I do. This is like whenever I read anything by Harold Blue. You know what? Because deep down inside, I really do have an ocean of self-loathing, clearly. Okay. Uh, Anyway, um, and I remember reading that and just kind of disagreeing with pretty much every single point, being like, no, no, no. This is no. And because it was all about boy fiction. Yeah, I really like this term, I'm gonna start using it a lot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and I think that the book certainly suffers from that. And I think that the movies do less, but I mean, they I, they all do. I mean, the Lord of the Rings, you know, why do I give a shit about Eric Because he's pretty when he's dirty, I guess. Yes. But that's kind of the only reason. <laughs> Vigo Mortensen's, like, filthy attractiveness is still really baffling to me, because I totally... He's still, ba- he's still dirty gorgeous, by the way, like, 20 years later. Yeah, he's because he's beautiful. only hot huh, when he's under a layer of dirt. Like, if you wash his hair, the appeal goes away entirely. Wow, <laughs> so much. Oh, anyway, um, which, and actually, but I do, I do want to touch on, on one thing in terms of the characterization of, um... I think we should talk about the characterization of Bilbo, but the thing that I would really like to touch on is the characterization of the dwarves, um, and especially Thorin, but kind of all of them because you mentioned that in the that they're that Thorin in the book and Thorin in the movie are hugely different. Jay, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Thorin in, in the movie makes no sense to me. Like, I don't, I don't understand him at all. Did you all in what get a sense of?
0: who he was. I mean, like, none of the dwarves make sense to me. So, yeah. I, like, I'm just excising myself from this conversation because yeah, I feel like... Just let, let the record show that Prue is still not over the fact that all 13 of those dwarves came into poor Bilbo's house. It was so him. rude! <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, I, like... I remember watching that in the theater and being like, "Oh, I hope your quest fails. That is so rude. Why would you do?" That? Yeah, I watched this movie with her over Chat and just like the entire part of that conversation was just her being angry. <laughs>
1: You probably shouldn't watch the cartoon version then. Oh my god, I would probably yes. have an
0: aneurysm at the cartoon version. And the worst part is, is that if people come into your home and are assholes and are rude, you should just smile and eat it because that's your job as a hostess. And Bilbo did that beautifully, but like, yeah. holy shit! You are breaking the social contract on so many levels, dwarves. Like, so many levels. <laughs> so many unacceptable levels. Sorry, I'm done. I'm done. No, I'm done. It's okay, no. No. Like, literally, I, I just wound you up and let you go because I really wanted that. So me. <laughs> it's really good for me every time you do this. So horrible. So anyway, horrible. <laughs> so, anyway um, so one of the things, uh, I Thorn does make sense to me, but I view Thorn in a way that I think probably a lot of people don't. Which is that I view him as a Jew, and there's been a lot of conversation about this because Tolkien was very upfront in several of his interviews uh, later on in his life um, that when he was writing The Hobbit, um, he modeled the language of the dwarves, uh, which is Kuzul. Yes, I do know that, um, uh, and he he modeled a lot of their uh, ceremonies, and he modeled a lot of their outlook on life off of the Jewish people. And this was in the 30s. This was pre-Holocaust. So, and in England, the anti-Semitism back then was very uh, acknowledged and it wasn't really even considered anti-Semitism. It was just like, oh, yeah, you know, those, those Jews, they love their diamonds and they know how to turn a profit. And if you read the book in that particular light, which I have pretty much, I think, I'm pretty sure my dad kind of read it to me in that way. I can't even remember now, but I've, I've always been kind of aware of that particular aspect of it. And, um, and so, so for me the book was always a bit of a slap in the face because there's that, that, there's that, that, uh, um, phrase where he's like, you know, uh, dwarves aren't heroes. Um, they're really good at, you know, knowing the worth of money and they're okay, but you know, don't expect too much out of them. So watching this movie, was really nice for me um, because it showed a lot of the heroism, heroism, um, honey, heroism, heroism whatever, heroicness, nicity. Yes, um, <laughs> that uh, that I always was like, yes, dwarves can be really awesome. Like they're they're not just you know comic relief and you know hairy bearded bastards uh, <laughs> who are short and talk about money. Um, and so. So for me, I think that I probably read a lot more, um, well, definitely read a lot more into Thorin's characterization and then the characterization of all the dwarves um, than than many other viewers and readers.
1: Did it bug you, though, that uh, Thorin seemed more
0: into the Ark and Stone in the movie? No, because they explained it. Okay. They explained why. Because in the book, it's literally because it's shiny. Like, there's no reason for him to be so incredibly... Uh, um, like obsessed with the the arkenstone and literally almost kill Bilbo because that's what he does in the book. Um, yeah, yeah. that's that's a useless jewel. Like in the in the book, the arkenstone is just shiny. There's no there's no magic power to it. There's no oath that the dwarves uh, give to it. And and more importantly, you know, Smaug in the movie implies that there's something wrong with the arkenstone. Remember where he's like, I'm tempted. Uh, he talks to Bilbo and he's like, I'm tempted to let you take it and give it to Thorin and watch it drive him crazy. And and I and I, so I think that that part is very much a it's 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 something that Jackson at all made up um, to kind of explain some more of it because in the book it's just that the dwarves are selfish. You know, they they talk a little bit about a dragon sickness that I think the master gets later on, but they don't really give it you know, a name. It's just selfishness. Yeah, and I think that they, in the movie at least, you know, with zero other context for this, I think that they played that really well because Thorin, the, like, the palpable difference, or uh, the gold sickness, right? Like, the palpable difference between the Thorin on the outside of the mountain, right? Like, where he has this moment of, like, such fragility where he thinks that they're not going to get inside and his heart is crushed. Like, he's absolutely crushed, and you never for a minute think it has anything to do with the gold on the inside of the mountain, right? Like, the fact that they use it as a weapon, and, like, instead of actually giving a damn about the vast quantities of the wealth, and when they get inside, it's more like, oh my god, that's right, this is our home, like, I remember these walls, I remember these hallways, like, that was really touching for me. And then, once they kind of, like, get into the golds and the mounds or whatever, like, the way that Richard Armitage plays it is that he does seem compelled, right? Like he, and with people knowing the background of the Lord of the Rings and knowing the evil of the ring, the idea of a cursed object that kind of takes over your brain makes complete sense in the context of this universe. And like that part, at least, I felt was really compelling because, I mean, if it was just the way that Gus, you're describing in the book where they're just like, They want this gold. They want this jewel. I would not want them to succeed in taking back the mountain at the cost of so much.
1: Yeah. You know, I will say in the book... Sorry, I went silent because I was trying to, like, find the page and remember.
0: Um, (laughs) Oh, my God. uh, We're getting citations. This is great. No, I like you today. Aw, thanks, guys. Yeah, I have two copies because one for lending.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, I think internet <laughs> I, well i'll put it in the mail or something but yeah so I, I i do think that the dwarves are a little more selfish in the book but they always talk about the arkenstone as either being the heart of the mountain or the arkenstone of our father and to me that adds this extra bit of uh, I, I don't know if reason's the right word but it, it's not just a shiny gem to them it's it's the symbol of their homeland, which to me is kind of a resonant idea in a book that's pretty much based on symbolism.
0: Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, it's a
1: good point. I, I don't think it's too far off. I did like in the movie, though, that they balance the greed of the dwarves with the greed of men. Like, mm-hmm. no, it's not like, oh, well, this race, they're like that. It's Everyone's kind of a little greedy. Um and I don't want to swing us too far, of course, but we haven't actually talked about Stephen Fry yet. Do you guys want to talk about Stephen Fry? I want to
0: talk about Stephen Fry's hair. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, we need to talk about Lake Town in general, because, like, Stephen Fry, Bard. Um, uh, I would name? like to take two of Bard to go. Just, like, wrap him up. I'll, I'll leave right, right now. <laughs> I was really shocked at how much I was like, oh, Bard. <laughs> I was, like, so excited to get to perv on someone human-sized in that movie. Like, (laughs) I was just real psyched. I was like, oh, man. Like, an entire movie, I was like, man, that Thorn guy's real, oh, like, two feet shorter than I am. (laughs) And then, like, we finally get to Lake Down. I was like, oh, people, I can totally think he's hot and have dirty thoughts about him. He's taller than I am. (laughs) Uh, and now, crew, I'm high-fiving you through the internet. <laughs> high-fiving a million <laughs> angels. A million of them. A million of them. Anyway, um, absolutely, we should talk about Stephen Fry. I thought the master was a huge departure from the book. Um, because the master in the book is kind of greedy, and he eventually succumbs to the dragon sickness. But he's not a bad guy in the book. He's just kind of a politician. Whereas they kind of make him into a cartoon in the movie, which I don't have a problem with at all because it's Stephen Fry. <laughs> and he was just, like, having way too much fun having, like, herpes and gouts. <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of scoliosis, or not psoriasis type of, like, he was a mess. Yeah,
1: there was some real He was enjoying himself.
0: Oh, oh, he was so clearly enjoying himself. Like, he did some interview where he was talking about, you know, well, somebody's gotta take over the role of most desirable person in a Middle Earth trilogy over Orlando Bloom (laughs) and it's it's fallen to me, and it's like, yes! (laughs) Indeed it has. I feel like everyone had an amazing time in Lake Town. Like, I loved everything, so basically, like, my favorite things about, um, this movie were the scenes with Bilbo and Smaug because they were amazing. And I loved Lake Town as an idea, as a set. Everything about it was so cool to me. Like the sort of like rambling, almost like 1940s Disney animation feeling of it as like a crumbling Venice made out of wood was so fantastic. Like everything about that town was great. And also I totally loved the the Stephen Colbert cameo. Like, I think someone actually yelled, oh, there he is, in my theater, when when we saw him, and I was so happy. I was about to say, that was me. I, I heard you all the way from California. Exactly. Well, actually, and and to, uh, again, put another notch in my fucking nerd belt, um, my Bro, this belt is intense, man. Oh, yeah. This, this belt is studded, baby. Um... My friend uh, Judge Bunny and I got to go to because in Los Angeles um, they did a uh, tour of the Hobbit set. We got to go. I won like a like a lottery type thing. Uh, I got to see Lake Town, like literally the set. They they broke it up. They shipped it over to Los Angeles. They set it up, and there were like I think a dozen or so of the original crew and like designers. Who were who hanging out basically and answering questions from people like me? Lake, the Lake Town set is every bit as amazing in person. Like, you go, like, you look at the pieces of paper and they're handwritten, like, notes of currency and, like, lists about fish sales and, like, everything is, is labeled and intricately made and it's, it's all real. So, Lake Town as a set, especially, was just phenomenal. And amazing yeah i'm super jealous you got to go see my favorite
1: set in the movie um yeah. i mean obviously like the cave was you know epic and really shiny but um <laughs> I, but it was of, cgi sadly yeah but like lake town to me um was such a rich place and it totally like the 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 master and bard and like the whole backstory that got built into the movie it just made so much more sense, like the level of corruption and greed and like why you would have a town made of wood um, <laughs> on a lake next to a dragon. <laughs> like, I didn't even all think All of, of that. it just held together as a, a really solid backstory for me. And I, I thought it was so much richer and better imagined than I could have done just reading it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, great. Well, and, and I mean, it's worth noting that um, if – uh, Jackson and Party had not been had been completely true to the book Bard wouldn't have been in this movie Bard only shows up literally as the dragon is descending upon Lake Town oh so he just like rolls up shoots the yeah. arrow and disappears well no he doesn't disappear he then leads the kind of ragtag men's militia right to the mountain because in the book again it's really confusing because in the book the dwarves don't do anything uh uh, Smaug just flies off um, after destroying the hidden door because he's pissed right? And some ponies. Um, and, uh, and then he flies off to Lake Town um, and the dwarves kind of hang out for a few days being like, is he coming back? <laughs> Are you serious? You no, know, literally they hide in a fucking tower. Like, Jay, you can find that scene where they like chill out with the crows for a while. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Well, they couldn't figure out how to get out, and they didn't know where to go, and no one in, the yeah.
0: t- in Lake Town liked them. Yeah. This is and so bullshit. And they <laughs> literally go back to the Horde, and they're like, well, he's not here now. So then they start looting through the treasure, and that's when um, Thorin gives Bilbo the um, Mithril shirt, which, I'm really crossing my fingers, is a big scene in the third movie, because it's going to be really good for me. Um, but... Um, Destroys a lot of Lake Town, or all of Lake Town, or most of Lake Town. I can't remember. Jay, almost all of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, because he's breathing
1: fire, <laughs> and the town is made of wood. And I never understood that. But once you see Stephen Fry, and you're like, that is totally the guy that would let that happen. <laughs>
0: they did in the book is that Bard littler, literally just has a bow and arrow, and it's his lucky black arrow that kills Smout. It's just an arrow. Oh, it's not are you a shitting big me? Fuck off, Lance. It, there's no what do they call it? A dwarvish wind lance or something like that. Um, I don't. There's, doubt. there's none of that. There's mm-hmm. just you know, hey, I guess that worked out. Um,
1: but yeah, I love his backstory and how bitter he is. That like. She didn't miss just so you know like, yeah we totally like
0: fucking did our part assholes like Minus yeah. that part. Minus that part. I totally loved everything in Lake Town. Like everything that happened in Lake Town delighted me. It felt really rompy Yeah and really fun. And I enjoyed Legolas fighting orcs. Was that what happened in Lake Town? Like that was great. I was like, well, I don't know if this makes sense, but I'm I'm entertained by it. Everything like, about Legolas in this movie was a fucking delight. Because we still haven't talked about the barrel scene where he oh jumps on dwarf heads like lol, and He's it's amazing such a dick and i just love him and you're just like this makes a lot of sense like you are 100 the product of your environment and like if your dad is like a dwarf racist party elf who rides moose around with that crown like it, it's gonna take you a real long time before you're gonna be ready to be like epic bros with Gimli. yeah no, I, and that's actually one of the things that I really loved, how much they really kind of rewound Legolas' characterization in as much as they could. Because agreed, Orlando Bloom, he tries real hard, but he's not that great an actor. Um, but they did kind of make him into this kind of slightly younger, certainly more racist, um, more reckless Kind of douche. Yeah. Um, who was super mean to Thorin and stole his sword and I was I'm still kinda sad about that. And at um, least they and they totally remembered to make his eyes blue the entire movie this time. I, know. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Lego listened his hypercolor eyes from the first movie. That was That's weird. like some romance novel bad fanfic shit right there, his color changing eyes. So I was grateful that they actually had the CGI budget to fix that for this one. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. So anyway, um but yeah, no and, and somebody did a really great gift set of cause the, 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 the moment and I actually thought about this when it happened and then somebody did gift set and I blessed their hearts um of when when uh Legolas like gets a nosebleed. And literally his thought process is nobody makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> it's just like so good for me. It's just like, yes. He's ridiculous. This, you know, it's, he's so ridiculous, but he's kind of ridiculous in the Lord of the Rings movies, too. Oh, you know? yeah. He's enjoyably ridiculous. Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, he's, he's kind of the unintended comic, comedy character, um, but that's okay because we love him so much anyway. Yeah. Ugh. It yeah. was excellent. It was tres-exalente. It, it was. But anyway, Lake Town, Stephen Fry, is there anything else we need to talk about with him? No, just, like, okay. I, I'm really impressed by him and some of his film decisions recently because before this, the last thing I saw him in in a movie was Naked Mycroft in the Sherlock Holmes sequel for oh. <laughs> Robert Downey and Jude Law. Which I still have nightmares about. Jesus Christ. It was oh. pretty excellent for me. It was so funny. And then, so, like, the next time I saw him in a non-QI context, was, like, with this, frankly, astonishing quaff <laughs> happening up there, and some really good facial moss happening. I just loved it. Like, I loved every inch yeah. of it. I loved every stupid second of Lake Town. Like, all the parts that didn't make sense. Like, how did nobody notice there were fucking orcs crawling around the rooms? I don't care. You yeah, and your giant... Arc- I was sitting there going, like, does everybody just, like, burrow underground or underwater? Like, are you guys? all like, are totally selfish? blackout drunk? Like, how are you not aware that this shit is going... Whatever. It doesn't matter. I what, honestly, I would be blackout drunk, too. Well, blackout. I loved every dumb, flammable, orc-ridden, Legolas, blue-eyed second of Lake Town. That was yeah. just real entertaining for me. Yeah. I was about to say, speaking of Lake Town, can we talk about the healing scene? And can we talk about Tariel and Kili in the first place? Because... People kept being like, well, just figures that they have one girl character in this whole movie and they give her a romance, you know, plot. And I was just like, shut up. <laughs> <'Cause> that, <laughs> that romance plot is so good for me. It's just everything I wanted. Everything I wanted. Aww. Yes. Include, we can including Killy being the damsel in distress. Yes. I mean, I. I... I don't have a lot of... like. I really enjoyed that relationship like more than I thought I would. I think that yeah. for as little screen time as they had to establish the romantic underpinnings of that, I think they did a really impressive job of it. Um, <clears throat> what I will say is that in terms of people being really angry about her inclusion, because I feel like people are most angry about her inclusion because she's a, a totally original character. Um, and... I think that I think it was Evangeline Lilly, right, who said this, and I think that her point is really valid where she was saying that it's going to be 9 hours of movies without any women in them. Like yeah. it's a it's a film series that has no female characters. And she was saying that in these days, in the modern context of the universe, that's not okay. And I totally agree with her and i don't really have anything else to say about that because i loved her as a character and they're really fun and she was really good at killing orcs (laughs) and it was just good for me
1: yeah i did like she was very capable like yeah wasn't like she was i'm still a little iffy on arwen as a character Mm -hmm. um even though she actually i think is part of the tolkien original canon i was
0: about to say you're, you're iffy on
1: her from the movie or from the book from the movie um, but, but yeah, I liked Tariala. I think I liked the way she was developed so much that it made me a little sad that the characters that I already thought I knew weren't developed.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it.
1: I, that it might like... be what other people are getting upset about. Like, why did you spend so much time on this extra character when there were other characters to, to, it's to tell?
0: Well, I think that there's a, there's an established pattern of them doing that, um, in terms of when they introduce, a new character in the second, like, uh, in, um, Two Towers, you know, Eowyn gets more kind of characterization, um, than, uh, and and Theoden especially gets way more kind of screen time than maybe his role, uh, needs, um, because he's a new character, um, and Faramir the same way. And so I think that Tariel and Legolas and Thranduil and Bard, all to a certain extent, get more character beats in this movie. Because we know Thorne, we know Bilbo, we know Gandalf. Um, they, they kind of got their fair share in the first movie. Um, or, you know, Jackson considered that they did. Um, and that was, that, that was kind of my interpretation of it. But I agree that there is less... There, there were far fewer character beats for some of them, especially Thorne. Thorne in this movie actually bugs me quite a bit
1: um, in
0: terms of his character arc. So, What would have made you happy? Like if he sat there playing his harp? Dude, I was about to say, I'm still bitter over the lack of uh, shirtless smithing in the first movie. I'm so furious about it. And when you, okay, so... They filmed it! Apparently, apparently, guys. The <laughs> reason serious. that we don't have a scene of Richard Armitage, like, <laughs> naked, covered in sight, sweating and smithing metal things Angrily. is because <laughs> apparently they filmed it and then like Peter Jackson was like why would you ever smith shirtless there's so much hot stuff you're gonna burn yourself and I like this is the one time ever I've ever been like I hate your logic I don't like you implementing logic in this universe I was just like you were such a fucking cock block. do you understand this
1: but this, like jumping on people's heads while riding over <laughs> barrels, that's not gonna
0: hurt. Yeah, exactly. That's well, so but like also I mean it's kind of canonical that dwarves don't feel heat the same way that other characters do. Remember in the first movie? Like that dwarf who like holds like a molten hot thing in his hand and just like puts it between two giant hammers and it's just like ain't no thing. You I'm know so what? Like, we can we can analyze yeah, this just, shit to just death. Just do I don't care. I was about to say, in short, Peter Jackson, you suck. You are mean. You could have just done that for us, you know? Like, if that's not on the DVDs, I'm going to be furious. Yeah. No, I think the the, the character arc that uh, that bugged me in Thorin is that there was just so little of it, I guess. Because, um, you know, he kind of goes from being monomaniacal and single-track tr- single mind at right. the very beginning of the movie... To being monomaniacal and single track mind at the end of the there is no kind of but you guys there's no moment where has, sorry no but you guys both of you can comment on this weren't you wasn't one of you telling me that Thorn is actually pretty unlikable in the books oh uh, yeah well I, I, I detest Thorne in the books Jay do you like Thorn in the books um sorry. he's he's got his moments I think. <laughs> To the point like
1: he's like kind of flat. Yeah. I wanna feel sorry for him when he meets when he gets his, you know? Yeah. Like every character in the book has their moments of being terrible and their moments of of grace so that you can empathize with them. And Thorin was so flat for me in this film. That I know, I know what's going to happen to him, and I'm not sure that I'm going to care. And <laughs> I would like to care, you know, it's a good story. Yeah. But I was thinking more about, like, Tariel and what you all were saying about it being a kind of a, if you think about it in terms of being a fan work. Yeah. That maybe the filmmakers felt like they couldn't touch the main characters, like they, they only could play in the new part of the sandbox.
0: That's true. I hadn't considered that before. I think that's an interesting idea, because we still haven't talked about Bilbo's characterization, and I think we should uh, definitely touch on that. I, I think that they did play around quite a lot with the characterization of the of the set character. I mean, what few there were. There were the dwarves, there was Gandalf, and there was Bilbo. And, you know, we didn't get a whole lot of recurring characters. I mean, Radagast was there for about five minutes, but... Um, Him and his bird poop head were great. I, I I honestly do just adore Radagast. He's just, you know. But, of course, Sylvester McCoy I'm always going to love. So, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, he was quite lovely. And he also captured what I felt was, like, the spirit of the story. Like, yeah, you he can, was totally, much, yeah. can totally fight evil with
0: bunnies. Like, that is the way we do it. Yes. Well, not, I mean, he, he more than anything else and weirdly felt like he was from the book you know what I mean? And he isn't, of course. Like, he's literally mentioned once in the entirety of The Hobbit. Um, but he felt like a children's character, because he felt like such a child. I don't know. I loved him. But, um, um, no, but I, I think I think you're absolutely right in terms of, I love Thorne, and I will weep tears of blood when he gets his. But I think that There was so little that was earned in regards to what he was doing in this movie. Sorry, that was my dog. Um, Who was uh, clearly agreeing with me. The thing that I would have liked to see is more his decision to leave Keely behind, I felt was really selfish in terms of, because there was a much better reason to leave Keely behind, and that is, you're hurt, Yeah, I don't know what's going to be in that mountain, and Lake Town is a safer place for you. And if they had gone that way with Thorne's characterization and not made it, you're slowing me down, bro, I would have been so much happier in terms of where Thorne's head was at. Because that was still kind of before he was getting taken over by the gold sickness. Yeah, so he has no real excuse for that. No, he was, I mean, it was just a shitty thing to do. So my question was, right, and this is, like, right. me going in and, like, filling in the blanks of the characterization absence that I don't like just automatically. Sure, um, yeah. But when I watched that scene and they left Kili behind, like, even though Thorne was like, we got to go. Like, we got to go. You, you're going to sit here and lie on this bag of walnuts because no one in this universe knows what a fucking pillow is, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That was so confusing Sorry. to me. I was like, what, why? Like, that even, was so extravagant. I was just like, when they showed him lying on the fucking table, right? And I was just like, why is he lying on a wall? Okay. mildew. Um, yeah,
1: do.
0: I, I guess.
1: You can't keep that pillow down.
0: <laughs> I guess. You know what? Point. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's honestly, God, that's a horrible place to live. Um, they really need to rebuild Dale. Anyways, so. Anyway. When he left, even though he was kind of like, we got to go, like, I don't have time for this, I sort of read into it that, like, you're hurt, I'm not taking you, which may or may not be warranted, but this is just, like, the sort of me filling in the blanks, like, this is his baby nephew, Right? Yeah. Like, he probably, and in my head, in, like, the narrative that is built up in my head about this, I can't imagine that he feels great about the fact that he's got both his nephews with him anyways. On what is essentially almost a suicide mission on some level. Yeah. And the fact that Keeley can't go is fine. You know what? Like, don't get hurt. Stay here. He'll make eyes the, the elf against my will. Like... That's okay. But I don't, well, like, now I right, want. Thorne doesn't know about Toriel yet, and it's going to be real great if he ever finds out. going to be so happy. Well, <laughs> then then no one will need to murder him in the third movie because he'll just explode. But, like, <laughs> I don't, but see, now that you've mentioned this, like, I have no idea whether or not, like, I gave him that pass in my head or whether he actually was, like, no. I think it's Mr. definitely Sun. open to interpretation. It wasn't made clear, okay. I guess. Gotcha. So I think that you can absolutely see that and interpret that, and that's totally valid. Right. I would have liked it to be beyond interpretation, basically. Right, just explicit. Yeah, or just still have that scene, but then have Bilbo, like, you know, pluck on his shirt later and be like, um, that was a dick move. And Thorne being like, bro, I'm just really relieved I have an excuse. Yeah. Like, I want to bring them in the first place. That's Um, fair. You know. But the the fact that he was like, No feely, you should come with us Yeah was kind of argued for for me, for my interpretation, against the idea that he was really that worried about his nephews being on this quest. That's fair. That's fair. right. So Hobbit characterization. My, like, basically, I look at Martin Freeman's face, and I just assume, like, he's about to say something offensive and flip the bird at me. So, like, I have no real thoughts on the Hobbit characterization. (laughs) So, what about you guys? Compared to the books, good, bad thoughts, no thoughts?
1: The part that I wasn't crazy about is at this point in the book, Bilbo is still learning how to be a, a hero, Right. And he's kind of still winning by accident and sort of like, oh, that works. <laughs> um, and I guess that would have been really hard to swing given that we all know how evil the ring is. Like, it, he has no idea. Um, but there's one interaction that I really liked in the books, which is um, Balin, Balin, the older dwarf, yeah. um, is starting to realize just how kind of secretly awesome Bilbo is. And he keeps, like, trying to convince the other dwarves, like, you know this burglar he's all right and um yeah. and Bill was overhearing it and going oh they think i'm all right <laughs> and it, it, it was a really resonant character development for me um that i would have loved to have seen i have no idea how they could have done it given the way they're envisioning the world
0: yeah well and also the way that they cuz you know a lot of a lot of the movie s- suffers from the fact that they were originally going to make two movies. And then literally after they'd stopped filming, they decided to make, uh, I think the studio was like, no, 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 we're going to do three. And Jackson was like, shit. <laughs> um, and so a lot of the character beats that they had had to be moved around or changed or added to or whatever. Because, yeah, I, I agree that that scene would have played out really well in like the first movie. Um, and I can't remember when it happens in the book. It happens recurring. Like,
1: uh, I think yeah. the first time it happens is when he meets them after the Misty Mountains and he sneaks up on them. Um, oh, yes. But as he repeatedly rescues them over and over while Gandalf is off having mysterious adventures. <laughs>
0: uh, Balan's like his biggest fan, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it, to me, it made the scene with Smog much more resonant, mm-hmm. that there's there's no witness this time. No one's going to know if he does good or does bad. They're all off at the edge of the mountain. And, but he's got that kind of positive reinforcement. I can do this. I have people that believe in me.
0: Well, I think that they have that care they, they have a slightly different version of that character beat, but they definitely have that beat with Bilbo and Balin in the tunnel, which I love because that is from the book. Oh, um, right. Right. I forgot about terms, that. Yeah, in terms of Balin. Um, I can't remember how they put it in the book, but literally all of the dwarves are like, Nabra, you got this. Uh, we'll, we'll wait here uh, for you to do this." And Balin's like, "You know what? I'm gonna go with the hobbit a little ways at least because you guys suck." Um, literally, Balin's like you assholes. Um, and Bilbo and 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 he have some sort of conversation in the book, but in the movie, it's so sweet. I just loved how Balin was just like, you know, the courage of hobbits, you know, they're just so amazing. And, and he repeats the same thing that he said to Thorin way back in the first part, which is you don't have to do this. And that to me was just so incredibly, it was a different character beat because I, I agree that Balin's kind of, you know, I'm, you know, number one Bilbo fan is, is a really awesome one in the book. But I really loved the kind of paternal angle that Ballin had in the movie in, t- in terms of, in terms of interacting with Bilbo and with Lauren. So I have to say now that you flagged that up, that is one of the things that I find really funny about, this is like separate from the movie, separate from any characterization, separate from all of it. Like right. the fundamental premise of the movie confuses me. Like you, you guys are doing okay, right? Like y'all left after this horrifying incident and you've settled in the Blue Mountains, and it's been a really long time, and it's not like you're still dying and stuff, right? Like, you have a pretty successful life. You have a pretty Blue successful Mountains. life now. Yeah. Why the fuck are you doing... This is just one of those things where, like, I just... It's one of those moments where I just, like, throw out my hands and I was like, boys, because I'm like, why the fuck would you do this? Like... <laughs> well, again, it's... its in—in in The movie explains it better than in the book, because literally... Literally, Tolkien describes it um, l- later because um, he write he wrote a like short story basically right. about Frodo asking Gandalf about the real the, the truth behind the quest for Erebor. Right, um, and Gandalf is just like, "Well, I happened to meet Thorin in on the road. We went and had some brewskis." <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you think I'm kidding? No, I believe you. That's why I'm sad. Um, and, and it turned out that Thorin had been okay for, you know, 150 years, but lately he's just been kind of thinking about it and getting mad about the whole thing with Erebor. Right. Okay. And so coincidentally, I happen to have this map and key that his dad gave me. Whoops, I guess it was his dad. didn't realize that. Um, and so it all kind of works out. That's how it happens in the book. That um, is fucking stupid.
1: Well, I know no, no. there's more to it. There's more to no, that. There isn't. Like there isn't. No, there, there is because they have songs. Like <laughs> <They> have songs. <laughs> it's home. Yeah, laugh at me. It's homesickness. It's an <laughs> eternal homesickness, and well, yes, I it's didn't very realize yeah I didn't realize that that was the context in which the book was written. It makes so much more sense like it's it's Zionism, which that's a whole other political debate for another podcast. Yes. but I feel like if we go, up. Yes. yeah it's probably not a good good conversation for this podcast that is true um but like that these people have been singing these songs for the last however many years and idolizing this place that they came from and it's sort of like a part of them. Now, if you think about like the power of a story to stick with you, um, no.
0: And you know what? I I, completely, I, I completely agree with that. And I recognize like, I believe in the power of stories and like the power of even more than like a cohesive story, like the power of narratives and symbols and things like that. But from like a, sh- a purely pragmatic point of view, right? Like if I am like a lady dwarf and I am living in the fucking blue mountains, And like Thorn comes in or whatever, like, and they're like, you know what? Uh, We've been doing okay for like the last hundred and fifty years, and we've recovered or at least gathered what we can from the ashes of our previous lives, and we've started up this existence. And you know, like, we're we're we've made a life for ourselves, but we're gonna do this, and we're gonna go fight a dragon in a mountain, and we'll probably die. And yeah, so who's in? I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, are you drunk? Are you high? Like, what is the point? Like, for what? Gold? Like, what are you trying to get? Like, if the important thing is our legacy and our history and our identity... None of that is necessarily bound up in a geographic location. It's just one of those things where I like I'm so confused by it. Like I would never make this choice and I would try to stop anybody who had. So for me, that was the part that was just like, you know, I'm like, I can take this as a fundamental, like, this is what happened, this was the decision. But in terms of like a character choice, I would never have started this to begin with. Like I would have just been like, this is baffling to me. Why would you throw away what you have currently? on the dim and possibly um, impossible dream of something that may or may not ever happen. Yeah. Well, and and, and I've, I've got to say I hugely disagree with the idea that because there are stories and because there are songs about the homeland, that that means that, they, that their return is always imminent. I mean, remember, the reestablishment of Israel only happened after the Holocaust, only happened after a huge catalyst um, and that there was, you know, external political will, not just, because if you asked a lot of Jews in the 1930s, do you want to return to Israel? They're like, yeah, I, yeah, whatever, I've, I've got to make a pretty good business going, so, eh. um, so there's, there's, there. I think that there's that kind of inertia. And so what happens in the movie that didn't happen in the book, or at least didn't happen kind of explicitly, is Gandalf is Gandalf coming in, and Gandalf being the one who's like, you know what, I'm sensing a growing evil, and this dragon, um, because historically, well, I was about to say, and historically, dragons in Middle-earth are decimating. They are absolutely, like, Smaug's behavior is actually very weird, um, because he's just, he's not killing every single thing in the world, continually. He's, you know, (laughs) gone, whatever, uh, dormant. Um, and, and Gandalf, I think, knows that there is a chance that if there, if evil rises again, which he seems to suspect is happening, that Smaug can, I can't remember what the term is, can be used to terrible effect, um, if, uh, if he's, like, roused again or whatever. And so he needs to get defeated. And so Gandalf is the one who plants the idea not just to go back to Erebor, but that that Thorne can be successful. You know, he's like, well, here's the plan. Because Thorne didn't have a plan. Thorne didn't plan on ever going back to Erebor before he met up with Gandalf and Bree. you know? In the movie, in the context of the movie, I mean. Well, that was just, like, one random side offshoot thought yeah. that I had. So I was like, so, yeah. No, I, I mean, I agree. Even even the plan that Gandalf had was shit. And stupid as fuck. And, like, I'm gonna go find me a random hobbit because them be good burglars. Uh <laughs> <laughs> was kind of amazing to me. I love how your body is revolting at this conversation. I think that's a good sign to for us to close on, which brings us to one of my favorite parts of any episode, the recommendation section. Because Jay is first-time guest, you get to go first in terms of recommendations.
1: Okay, so, uh, short disclaimer, I'm not actually that familiar with the Hobbit fandom, so this is more a story about fandom. Um... There is a blog post on a science blog called The Last Word on Nothing, Uh, One Weird Old Trick to Undermine the Patriarchy. I'll read the first few lines. Okay, so my five-year-old insists that Bilbo Baggins is a girl. The first time she made this claim, I protested. Part of the fun of reading to your kids, after all, is in sharing the stories that you loved as a child. And in the story I knew, Bilbo with a boy, a boy hobbit, whatever that entails but my daughter was determined. She liked the story pretty well so far, but Bilba was definitely a girl. So would I please start reading the book the right way? <laughs> um, so I'll share the link with everybody. Uh, the article goes on. I just thought it was such an interesting uh, interpretation of like how to keep the core of the story uh, true to what you loved as a child. But still offer a lot of room for growth and also yay for feminism in six-year-olds.
0: Agreed. Agreed. I love that piece. I love that essay and I'm so glad that you recommended it. Everyone should absolutely go read it. It's fantastic. Gus, you're up next. Well, it's, you know, really hilarious that that's the thing you chose because um, from a reading and certainly from a writing perspective, I only really like girl Bilbo stories. Um, And for whatever reason, in this fandom, uh, it's, it's pretty prevalent. It's about 10% of the fic that's written on AO3 is uh, Girl Bilbo, which is awesome for me, because that means I got get a fair amount to read. Um, so two of my recs are Girl Bilbo, and two of them are Boy Bilbo. And so I will talk about... Uh, the first one is A Minor Misunderstanding by uh, Jezebel Ry- Rising. And it is... Um, and these are all stories that were written before the second movie came out. Uh, I, haven't written a, I haven't read a lot uh, that's come out since, but I'm sure it's all great. But anyway, um, A Minor Misunderstanding is uh, basically uh, an idea that Azog the Defiler uh, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't want to kill Thorin. He wants to make with him. I'm, like, choking because I've read this story and it is the funniest thing I've ever read in my life. As a trophy wife. And Thorin, of course, is like, the fuck, no. And Bilbo takes it uh, upon himself to be like, well, sorry, Azog, this boy's already taken. I challenge you to a duel and it's a chess match. And it's absurd (laughs) and beautiful. Isn't there, like, amazing orc? Love poetry. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! It's so terrible. It's so amazing. <laughs> like literally, it's, it's just—I—I well, I read it the entire time with my hands pressed to my cheeks, being like, "This is beautiful. <laughs> I love." World building, like yes, the. Thank you. I love, I love this story. I think I actually recommended this to you. Yes, you did. Um, so I totally stole it from you. That's fine. I'll fight you later. But um, <laughs> it's there's this beautiful through line in this story about Keely and Feely deciding that first of all that female dwarves are very rare, and therefore their women in general are extremely treasured within dwarven communities. And then Feely and Keely deciding that. Bilbo or Bella in the story is going to be their sister and Uh just kind of adopting her into their family. It's so lovely. And all the world building around it is really fantastic. Yeah. And it's super sappy and I love it. (laughs) It's so sappy. And there's like, there's so many moments where you're just like, yes, give it, give me more. (laughs) Um, And that's, it's called an eye for quality by Linalen. Linalen again, something like that. So she's got several handles, um, and then the la- and the last one is a porn recommendation. Because Good job. I'm classy like that. Hi Jay, how you doing? Um, <laughs> this is a this is another girl Bilbo story. Um, I think she's named Billa in this one. That's one thing that actually weirdly bothers me about um, girl Bilbo stories is that there's no in most um, gender fucks. There's some sort of like universally agreed upon girl name. Like not here. SGA. Yeah, in SGA if people gender fucked Rodney McKay, she was always Meredith, but there's no real name for Bilbo. So anyway, um Billa in this case, uh this is it's called <laughs> Over Hills and Under Skirts, Out of the Frying Pan and Into Her Knickers by Little Black Dog. And it's Thorne is a virgin. <laughs> and it's great and funny and it's, it's, it's actually hugely sweet um, in, a, in a really fun way. And you get, get, again, you get a lot of dwarf culture and, and uh, hobbit culture and kind of the idea of what sex means for both of these races. Um, and I just, I loved it. I loved it so much. So those are my recommendations. Good ones, good ones. Okay, and to carry off because I'm shameless, and Jay has known me for way too long for me to pretend to have shame. Right? <laughs> We're lay gonna it out
1: there. We're... lay everything out on the table. That's
0: right, that's right. We had to do Just... our laundry together. There's no darkness anymore. <laughs> I'm gonna kick us off with one of my favorite stories in the fandom, which I think is really, really underread. It's a story called Blacksmith by Faraday. Yes. Um, (laughs) Now, this is a story I admit that I initially avoided for quite a bit because one of my major things in reading is that like I like enthusiastic, repeated consent in sexual situations. And the summary of it made it sound like it was not necessarily going to fall along those lines because there is an implication of blackmail. Don't worry about that at all. The setup of the story is during Thorin's wandering. I bet you he was shirtless blacksmith days, where he was just filled with dwarvish anger and um, hitting metal stuff while it was hot. And the entire premise of this, the entire. I know nothing about smoking, obviously. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I paid someone else to install my window AC unit. Like I don't do these things with my hands. Um, <laughs> this is basically a story about, about Thorne boning down with some Randy housewife. Like there's really no other There's really no other summer. Like, it's just like a human lady sees him, likes the cut of him, tries to blackmail him into, like, boning her because she wants to take a walk on the dwarf side. And, you know, it's been a while for him, too, so he's like, fuck it, you don't really need to blackmail me. Flip up your skirts, let's go to town. It is awesome. It is so filthy. I am a big fan of this. Everyone should check this shit out. (laughs) Um, Agreed. Yes, it is... Tres excelente. Um, another story that I'm wrecking is a Jen Hobbit story called in which Bilbo sends Thorin the most hobbity of gifts and Thorin isn't sure if he should be thankful written by Lady Grey 99. It is a um, sort of happier post movie trilogy story where everyone lives and sort of as revenge for having driven him on this like awful trek uh bilbo starts sending hobbits to erebor just to like cultivate plants and things and is like a as sort of like a fostering situation and it creates gentle havoc on the mountain as they start tempting dwarves with the promise of like pears and apples and things and it's basically told in a series of letters going back and forth where thorin is like what the fuck are you doing stop mailing me hobbits it's really funny <laughs> And I, only, I obviously like stories where everyone lives, so I'm a big fan of that one. <laughs> I was about to say, so many... I, I, I can't remember who it was, but um, somebody did a great uh, compilation of all of the tags on Archive of Our Own, which are, like, everybody lives. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. somehow nobody dies. This person survives. X, and they, they just labeled it the mark of a broken fandom. And yeah. it's so true. See also the Phantom Menace, the collective, yeah. like... The collective unwillingness to believe the reality of the situation. And my final recommendation is a story called The Road Delivered Us Home by Keeley Wolf. Um, It is so... It's a lushly, lushly romantic future fic where years and years after um, Bilbo has helped Thorin and company seize the mountain and years and years after Thorin has spent his time serving as king... um, Bilbo gets an unexpected visitor in the Shire again, and that's basically all you really need to know about it. It's really languid. It's beautifully written. um, The whole thing feels very dreamy, uh, really lovely, and it's the beginning of a series, essentially, that she's still working on, but the story itself is contained and finished, and it's highly recommended. Um, That's a Bilbo Thorin fic for those of you wondering. And yeah, those are my recs. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on and talking with me and everybody else and like wearing your nerd straps proudly.
1: It was my pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Korea, for inviting me. Yeah. Thanks
0: for coming and hanging out. And thanks everyone for listening to us. Um, we will catch you on the flip side. Bye guys. Bye. 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 the way, also, if I start getting emotionally whatever, I'm on so much DayQuil right now oh. that, like...